Hi guys, and welcome to another episode of my podcast, Beginning Again with Leanna Tankersley. And I am Leanna Tankersley. Today's episode is a conversation between uh, me and a new friend. Uh, She's a beautiful writer and a new author. Her name is Nicole Zasowski, and we have a, um, a really tender conversation about loss, disappointment, Um, when life does not come close to meeting your expectations. Have any of you ever been through anything like that before? Um, Nicole talks about just her journey of moving from a life that felt comfortable and kind of like contained and being um, pushed way out of her comfort zone, moved across the country, and um, and then really a very challenging fertility journey. And she talks about the losses that she went through as a, as a part of that journey. And so I'm so excited to introduce you to Nicole and her beautiful book we're going to talk about. It's called From Lost to Found. And um, I hope you enjoy our conversation. Listen in. Nicole, first of all, I'm just thrilled to talk with you. And I so loved your book. And um I was just really honored to get to write an endorsement for it. So thank you for being here today and for um, just the privilege of getting to read your book before it was released and offer my support to it. Oh, goodness. Thanks for having me on this podcast and for offering your support to it. I was it was such a gift to me to uh, have your kind words in there. So thank you so much. Yeah, of course. And I want to tell you guys that the endorsement that I shared for Nicole's book, it's called From Lost to Found, and it just released in January. Um, The subtitle is Giving Up What You Think You Want for What Will Set You Free. And I want to spend uh, my time with Nicole talking about the book and talking about her story. But what I wrote in my endorsement is that what's beautiful about Nicole's writing and her book is that she shares the details of her story very intimately, which we'll get into, but she does it in a way that becomes very universal and very representative of each of our own humanity. How many of us um, have gone through a a stage in life where we feel like we were lost and then um, the pieces got put back together. And so that's where I kind of wanted to start, Nicole, is just, I think so many of us myself, like right smack in the middle of this, are going through seasons in life where we have gone from lost to found, or another way that I might say it is from disorientation to reorientation. Mm. And often that is because of loss, because of loss. And so can you just talk a little bit about your own story and then why lost to found was the right phrase for your story? And, and maybe, you know, this whole idea of disorientation to reorientation, but it comes to us in the hands of loss. Yeah, um, I love that idea of, of reorientation, because that would be another way that I would certainly articulate what happens for so many of us. Um, but I, I think, you know, the beginning of the book, as you know, it it, it starts out where I'm in this place of everything is kind of going well for me. Um, I describe life as being very comfortable. Um, I was, you know, living in Pasadena, California, which is a place that I really love. Um, I had just gotten married. I was in this graduate program that I was really thriving in and starting my marriage and family therapy practice. 
Um, but what I couldn't see is that I was personally missing out on the peace and joy and freedom that I was so passionate about helping my clients find. Mm-hmm. Um, and that at the end of that first chapter, it can it concludes with the fact that we were moving across the country for my husband's job. Um, and that was unwanted for me. <laughs> I, I didn't mm-hmm. I was not excited about that move. Um, but it really was the beginning of a season that could largely be characterized by change and loss, um, including in that, you know, five miscarriages and a pretty tough diagnosis around that. Um, and certainly I lost tangible things, um, in, in that story and in that season, but, in the process of losing tangible things, I also lost all of the touch points of security and the props to my faith, you know, things that I added to Jesus to, in order to feel valued and safe. Um, and those things finally stopped working for me. Um, Mm -hmm. and the reason I say finally is my particular defenses you know, listeners might have different defenses, but we've all got something. Um, my particular defenses are very culturally celebrated. Um, and so yeah. it, it was sneaky. I kind of coasted through life with them working for me. And I'm using air quotes there because, of course, they weren't yep. <laughs> truly bringing me peace and joy. But um, they they were masking um, as peace and joy. And uh, so I was left empty handed. And it was then that I understood it was very painful. Um, but it was then that I understood that only empty hands are open. Mm-hmm. And I lost all my misconceptions of who I thought God was that maybe weren't correct or healthy. Um, a new relationship between the two of us began to emerge, mm-hmm. um, meaning me and God. And I understood for the first time, um, I stopped attaching my value and it's still a temptation to reattach it, but there was this moment of, you know, detaching my value from external circumstances, um, and beginning to walk in the freedom of that. And you said it very well. I, I, I write this book in the context of my story, but I'm so glad you picked up on the fact that it's really meant for the reader to process their own story. Um, well, I think a couple things I want to just pull out from what you just said that are so good, Nicole. Number one is that I have found in my own life. And I, I think this is, I think this is true that when we go through significant enough loss, it really does reduce our capacity for BS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you Amen. Know, sorry to say it that way, yes. but it's the periphery things um, that we have leaned on. It's just so clear those things are not going to work anymore, and it yes. it reduces a lot of things crumble. And to that point, again, I have found in my own life that loss has layers, mm-hmm. and so our particular loss might be divorce or cross-country move, Mm -hmm. or miscarriage. But that's not the only loss. It's so layered, and it affects your faith, and it affects your your relationships. It's not just the one category. It's layered. Did you experience that? Completely. Um, 
layered is a great word because I think it, there was the big event, you know, you mentioned divorce or a move or, you know, in my case, miscarriage. Um, but there's lots of losses <laughs> layered yeah. in there. Um, it, it, it does impact your relationships. It's um, losing even what you thought was a security and realized that it promised way more than it delivered. Mm. Um, and I, I talk about a lot of the chapters are pretty, you know, what we could consider micro losses in terms of, you know, understanding, I, I write a chapter on marriage and how I had to lose what I thought marriage was going to be for me in terms of my own sense of identity and security. Um, and we had to build it up again in a different way because my husband could not meet the need that I thought he could meet when we first got married. Yeah. Um, and that ended up being a really good thing because um, our relationship was never going to be stable if that was my idea of what he could do <laughs> for right. me. Right. Um, but we, you know, things have to be broken down or lost in order to be found and broke, built back up again. I, yes, I, I absolutely agree with that. And I, um, it makes me think of last spring, I, um, I went to a support group for those who are going through divorce and mm. it was scary. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, it was very scary to walk in the door, but I did. And it was an 18 week course on all these different elements of what a person is facing when they're going through that kind of loss. And one of the practices that I think about so consistently that they would, that we were asked to do is to sit and make an inventory of our losses. Mm. God, talk about like, I mean, oh, it's, man. it is, um, it's really shocking. It's really sad. It's really layered as we said, but, um, I think that's one thing that just right off the bat that I would want, um, our listeners to hear as they're listening to this, that if you feel exhausted, if you mm -hmm. feel like everything's crumbling, if you feel as you're going through these massive transitions and losses and unmet expectations, like, man, I'm immobilized. If yeah, you were to yeah. sit down and make an inventory of the losses that you're experiencing and the layers and the, and the, uh, the tentacles of a certain loss, I think we'd all be surprised at yeah. how far reaching sometimes these things are. And it's helpful, you know, in a, in a kind of depressing way, but it's helpful to acknowledge, oh, this is happening on a whole lot of levels for me. I mean, you mentioned identity, marriage, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, your relation, your faith, mm -hmm. right? So we don't just lose something in a bubble. It, it affects everything. I guess I just want to normalize that for the person who's like, why, why am I having such a particular hard time with this? Yeah. Like, go through this, but it's because it's, it's layered. Completely. And you're reminding me, um, I was on a Skype call after one of my miscarriages, I think it was the fourth or the fifth, one of the more recent ones, with my mentor, who is still in Pasadena, California. Um, and, you know, it, it, we consult on, on therapy cases, but it was more of a personal call because I was just in the throes of grief. And he asked me this question. It was so simple, but very similar to what you're talking about. He said, what has this cost you? Mm. And it was so healing 
to just be asked that question. Um, because assumed in it, I think, was exactly what you're talking about. Like, this hasn't just cost you the life of that one baby, although that is a lot. Um, but this has cost you so much. And just to be able to name those things, obviously, I wasn't, it's not a happy thing, but it could be really healing to just name those things that have that have been lost in the wake of maybe the bigger, more obvious loss. Yes. And would you agree with this that, yeah, it's not particularly upbeat to sit and think about that or to make that inventory or to list the costs? I love that way of asking it. It's not like, oh, that's so fun. I want to do that on, you know, Saturday morning over brunch. Right. But we don't. Do, do you think we get stuck in our in our grief or in our process if we're not aware of like what actually has this cost you? Completely. I think um, I have a colleague that says uh, we cannot change what we will not name. Mm-hmm. Um, and not necessarily that all of those things need quote unquote changing, but I think pain loses its power um, when it exits the dark. So when we are able to be vulnerable and just name it and go there, um, it's not like there's immediate, uh, transformation in that one place, but it's the beginning of transformation. Um, because putting a name to something sets it free in a way that keeping it hidden or ignoring it, um, and our, de- our defenses like to keep things hidden. Um, I know for me, my defenses tend to be performance, control, perfectionism, um, and shaming myself. And those just keep pain kind of locked um, and unprocessed. Yeah. And so naming it, I think, is certainly the beginning of transformation and freedom. And you do a beautiful job, Nicole, in the second part of the book, going through control perfection, Mm. performance, pride, Mm. and how those particular mechanisms have really failed you, the failure of those mechanisms to protect you and how Mm. in our attempts to sort of keep pain at bay, it's, it just doesn't work. And it's, it's human. I think it's human, right? It's, it it is. Oh yeah. We all do something. Yeah. But to name reality, like, okay, guy, these things are no longer working is Mm. really, um, it's big. I want to ask you about, um, I think one of the, the major temptations for us as humans, and maybe it's more for women, I don't know, maybe it's not, maybe this is a male thing too, but especially when things feel out of control and we, we no longer have what we perceive to be control over our circumstances, mm-hmm. that a lot of what I have wanted to do, which has been one of my own defense mechanisms, is to search for ways to fix things. Yes. If I can come up with the right argument, the right strategy, the right um, counselor, the right book, whatever it is, um, the right set of facts that I could change this or fix it in some way. And I don't know if you experience that for yourself or you see that, I'm sure you see it with your clients too, but talk about like, what is wanting to fix things about? Does that work? Kind of just rap about that for a minute. Yeah. So, um, backing up, I think the four 
main ways, and this is based on the therapy model that I use, but um, four main ways that people tend to react or defend against pain is blame, shame, control, escape. Um, so that fixing it would be, would fall under the control category. Um, and I certainly, I I could totally relate to that. I think particularly when it came to our infertility struggles, Mm. um, I was so used to, I think my version of fixing it was just outworking everything. Like I, I had this mentality growing up that I'll just work harder than everybody else. I may not be, um, you know, the most naturally talented or, uh, the most, it may not come easily to me, but I can protect myself from disappointment and failure if I outwork. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I brought that to our for pain around fertility stuff. Um, and very much just started, uh, researching and doing every little thing right. And, um, you know, even, even down to stuff I didn't even believe, but just it shows you how tenacious our pain is like Mm -hmm. trying to, trying to be, you know, prove myself and be a good kid for God, (laughs) you know, and deserve deserve the thing you want. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And logically and theologically, I, I would not have spoken or written that I believed that, but I was sure acting like I did. Um, and I think we, we, tend to bring those pain cycles, our feelings and the things we do, um, in response to those feelings. I think we play that out with God the same way we do with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that actually made it really scary for me to name how I was feeling because I thought, um, I felt like it was, uh, some sort of failure on my part. Like I wasn't going to be, um, strong or prove to him that I had grown from it or, um, you know, all these, all these stuff he never asked us to do, but, (laughs) um, oh man, it's so true. Um, but once I was able to name those things, I experienced, you know, God's touch in it. Um, and when I stopped covering up and again, that didn't, eradicate the pain from my life or, or change the circumstances necessarily, but it changed so much inside of me. Yeah. You're not railing against your circumstances. You're beginning to accept them and surrender. Yes. Which is a very posture than how quick can I outrun this, fix it, change it, solve Mm -hmm. it and make sure God sees that I'm doing all that. Yes, exactly. you write beautifully about surrender and it's a, it's a concept I'm passionate about because, um, I'm not good at it. (laughs) Me neither. (laughs) I feel like something that I have learned and it's exactly what you just said is that we're often spending so much time and energy doing so many things that God never asked us to do, never invited us to do. And that really at the end of the day, so much of what God's asking us to do is peace, be still, you know, open your hands and, um, and be still Mm. and let me fight this for you. And, and it's hard because what does that exactly mean? We don't always know. And it's, um, it's not a clear set of action steps, (laughs) you know, which which our brains love. Mm -hmm. So just 
talk a little bit about surrender, what it's meant to you. How did you, you know, what had to happen before you got to a point of surrender? And um, yeah, just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think um, a lot had to happen before I got to surrender, but I think I'm particularly stubborn. Uh, So if you're listening, it may not require all this for you. Um, But I, I think when I experienced that loss, because it was painful and my brain was used to responding to pain in a certain way, which is true for all of us. Uh, those neural pathways are pretty strong um, between our feelings and the reactions that are totally understandable, but not very helpful. Um, and I kind of gave them one more try. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'll, I'll, you know, I'll perform, I'll prove myself to God and other people. I'll be really micromanaging and um, disciplined and do everything right. And maybe it'll change. Um, and, by God's grace, I confronted the thing I couldn't change with my own performance and control. And mm. so it was a bit of a forced surrender. I, I describe it as empty hands. Like I, entitlements were pulled from my grasp. All the comforts were stripped away. Um, those defenses were called out as frauds for the first time in my life um, mm. because they had promised security and a boost to my identity that they could no longer deliver. It just simply wasn't working for me anymore. Um, and so I was forced to find a new way. Um, and that new way, uh, was really, I, I would describe it as my version of beginning again, you know, Mm -hmm. rebuilding what, um, what I, who, what, my ideas about who I was and where my significance came from. Um, like I said earlier, my uh, ideas about who God is and the relationship, what the relationship looks like between the two of us um, and really deciding, okay, I have a choice here. I can keep railing against <laughs> what I, um, what I wish wasn't or um I can start telling myself the truth that I may not feel or believe in this moment, but I have a choice as to what I tell myself um, and and what I'm going to claim is true. Um, Often, you know, when I'm working with clients, they'll they'll say, I know what is true, but I just don't feel it. Um, And thankfully, I don't think we have to feel it <laughs> before uh, we yeah. before we start saying it and acting on it, yeah. um, because I think the feelings follow that conviction and that action. We can't necessarily feel our way to um, thinking or acting in a different way. And so, you know, to be honest with you, the surrender was in large part just exercising choice. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And just like, I have no more aces to play. Um, and I, yeah, I've got to, I've got to come up with a new way and I, I'm going to exercise choice and say, this is what I choose, um, to say to myself in terms of what is true. This is what I'm going to do based on that truth. Um, it's like learning 
to walk in a different way, you know, unlearning all those bad habits. <laughs> and um, I don't know if you've, I'm trying to think of a, an athletic example, but um, you know, when you've been playing tennis with like a really bad swing for a long time, um, when you learn that new swing, it, you're not going to be hitting balls over the net. You're going right. to be you get worse almost. Yes. Get back, right. Yeah. 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 Um, and that was largely what surrender looked like for me. Like, okay, I know this is important and this is my only option, <laughs> yeah. but, um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily feel, uh, comfortable yet. Yeah, of course. It's never our uh, knee jerk. I don't think, but it is a practice. And I think that's so good. What you're saying is that I have had to learn to choose to practice it, even when it doesn't feel like it would be productive, quote unquote, or, um, you know, would solve anything. But it's, I, I think I shared this recently on social media, but I feel like God over and over, you know, I'm asking God for a plan. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this just shows you like, guy, I'm so hard headed, but I'm asking God for a plan. And he just comes back to me over and over with, you don't need a plan. You just need a posture and the posture uh, is surrender, you know, and like yes. the plan, what's supposed to happen or what needs to happen will unfold, but it needs to unfold out of that posture of surrender and not out of like a strategy. And, and I don't know that everyone's spiritual life works that way, but mine, I feel like, especially in the most recent season, it's just a constant invitation back to peace, be still, mm-hmm. you know, just you have got to open your hands. Yes. Yeah. I remember seeing that on social media when you posted it and I thought, oh, that's so good because it is a posture. We're not necessarily going to have a 10 step. I think rarely do we have a 10 step plan. Um, but there is a posture in, in surrendering and learning and listening to what God has for us, you know, when, when we need it exactly when we need it. Yeah. And it's frustrating. It'd be so much simpler if you could just sort of Make it clear for me, but um, I think that that the whole point of the faith journey is that we're realizing um, I don't have all the ans- I don't have all the answers, and uh, you know, so I have to wait with my hands open for um, someone who can guide me and can see more than I can see. And there is, if we'll if we'll settle into that, there is a great comfort in it. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's it's a practice, as you said, which I think is. So important for us to remember. I wanted to stop and just say, Nicole, that um, I'm just, I am so sorry for the losses that you have been through. Mm -hmm. And I know we have people listening who are um, in the very tender territory of deep loss. And I, I, I don't want any more time to go by before I tell you how, how very sorry I am that you have walked through this. Oh, thank you, friend. I, that means a lot. And I think, that's one of the most healing things we can say to each other. I mean, you've been through your own struggle and I echo your words to me that, you know, I think it's just so healing for us as human beings to be able to say, I can't fix it, but I am so sorry that that you're going through this. Yes. Thank you. I wondered if you'd be willing to talk a little bit about your um, infertility and fertility journey and um, just talk, talk about that some what that's been like. Yeah. Um, so I got married pretty young. Um, you know, I was a year into graduate school. So about a year out of college. Um, 
and, you know, had no indication um, really on either side um, that, that our fertility struggle would be this extensive, certainly, but, but even exist at all. Um, so we had a plan, <laughs> speaking yep. of plans, yep. um, and we're very, you know, we are both would be considered type A, very disciplined, you know, organized people. Um, and it was, uh, we definitely had our plan for when we wanted to start our family. And um, initially, you know, we we're probably four years into marriage. Um, and I um, had my first miscarriage. Um, and it was sort of like, we were, of course, devastated, um, but there was no indication that anything was wrong at that point. And I think I explained, um, I think I explained a lot of my grief away on, on those, on the first one, certainly probably the first two. And I, that's one of my regrets, uh, a gift I think I could have given myself is just like you said, what did this cost you honoring all the losses attached to that because um, so many, and unfortunately this was supported by what doctors were saying to me and, and even some friends like, Oh, it's so common. Uh, This happens all the time. Well, as, as you know, it, it just because something's common doesn't make it feel normal. Um, It's not normal. (laughs) Um, It, it feels it feels awful and wrong and, um, and such a devastation and, and not what, how God intended, uh, for us and in terms of the pain that we experience. Um, so I, I, that was a distinction I wish I would have been able to make earlier that just because something is common doesn't make it normal. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would say that's true for, whatever pain people are experiencing. Um, and so then after the second one, I was really young. Um, and my doctor just said, you know, you don't fit the profile of somebody that would have two miscarriages right in a row. It certainly can happen. You know, I'm not that worried, but why don't you just go get a fertility, um, workup done where they do all that testing and, you know, see what comes up. So we, we sort of went like really expecting to find nothing. Um, one, because I was healthy and young and no family history, um, on, on my side, but, uh, also because, you know, not everybody who has fertility struggle, um, gets answers in a fertility workout, <laughs> like that they can yeah. only test for so much. Um, but sure enough, they came back with, um, a genetic, what, what they call a balanced translocation. So half of my husband's first chromosome is stuck on his 15th and half of his 15th is stuck on his first. Um, so he is, it's really interesting. So we, you can't detect it in him because all the genetic material is there, um, but when he goes to reproduce, that's where the issues 
can come because the right combination of chromosomes have to get selected in that process in order for the baby to make it. Um, so it, the information was helpful. Um, I know a lot of people never get answers and there's, there's something freeing in, in having an answer. Um, at the same time, it was pretty discouraging because there was no fix. So it was yet another thing I could not uh, outwork um, or throw money at or <laughs> could yeah. fix in some way. Um, and and so then we kind of started with this new knowledge that this was our reality. Um, my first son, we did kind of a very conservative round of IVF. Um, you know, it was important to us that um, it's complicated and more a longer conversation than a podcast, but um, it was important to us not to discard any life. And we believe that that started in the embryo phase. And so we did a very conservative round of IVF um, and got him. We're blessed with Aww. him. And, and this is a very personal, um, like, yeah, I, I feel like it's hard for people to talk about this as often because this is very, um, very personal, right? It How is. you go about th these yeah. parts of fertility and fertility treatment. It is extremely personal. And so I think sometimes people are going through these things and there's not a lot of people talking about it because mm -hmm. of how personal it is. Yeah. No, I, I thank you for saying that because I, and I, I want to pause and say, if you have made different decisions than I have made, you know, I think it is a very personal thing yeah. and you have to decide what's right for you and your marriage and, um, and, candidly, my husband and I were not on the same page right away. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and that was probably the darkest season of our marriage, um, where we were wrestling through what to do, because I think you have to be on, absolutely. there has to be unity there. Um, yeah. because you have to win or lose together, <laughs> no matter how it goes. And, yeah. Um, so that was important to us, thank goodness to get on the same page, but it took us a while to get there. Um, and yeah, we made, we made the decision to go forward with that, with, um, with my first son, we've, we've had some failed rounds of IVF. Um, and I hate that word attached to fertility, but, um, some procedures that did not work. Um, and we had three miscarriages in between my two boys, um, and then this time last year, Leanna, it was like this exact week. <laughs> um, yeah, it was one of the darkest uh, times for me, just really hopeless. Um, I was just coming into a surrender of, Lord, I know that you have placed this desire in my heart to be a mom of multiple children. Um, I'm so grateful for my son and I'm going to let you build our family how you want to build it. Um, and we were emotionally kind of down the road of adoption and mm -hmm. we're kind of turning our, um, our faces in that direction. And, uh, very shockingly, uh, got pregnant with a healthy little boy 
named Charlie, who is almost three months old now. Oh, um, yeah. Shit. And I did. Really <laughs> oh, gosh, Nicole. Um, oh, which was cool. such a fun surprise. I had never, I assumed because, and, and this has nothing to do with anything, but because I had never um, gotten to meet a baby that I had conceived naturally, I didn't feel much hope when I got pregnant um, that it happened naturally. And um, that was such a fun surprise. I do want to say that um, for those listening that may have adopted it drives me crazy when people say, you know, as soon as we tried to adopt or started the adoption process, we got pregnant. Yeah. Um, like I recognize that does not always happen. Um, and adoption is not a consolation prize. Like any way that God builds your family is a gift and a treasure. And each child, no matter whether you grew them in your belly or in your heart, um, I firmly believe, you know, God designed your family and brought them to you the way they were supposed to be brought to you. And so I just want to be really careful as I share my story that I don't make it sound like, you know, oh, we settled for adoption and then, um, got this gift that would have been a gift too. Um, but you know, God had our plans for Charlie this time around and we'll see what the future holds. Yes, that's beautifully said. And I, I just couldn't agree more that every life, every baby, it's each one is a rare and precious gift and how they come yes. to you is a, is a gift in and of itself. And um, I love that. Yeah. Um, tell me how you have um, kept going in life and Ooh. in faith and in um, <laughs> letting your heart be open. How have you kept it going? I think um, I write in the book, there's a chapter on hope and how hope became a really scary thing for me because it just felt like an avenue of disappointment. Sure. And like, what's the point? Like, can I just have low expectations and be pleasantly surprised if something <laughs> great happens? Like it felt too painful to keep opening myself up to hope. But what I realized is two things. One, when you close the door on hope, you close the door on all of it. The joy, the, um, the community that you'll have with loved ones, the intimacy you'll have in those relationships that come from vulnerability um, mm -hmm. and letting people into the pain and joy of your life, letting people rejoice with you when you rejoice and mourn with you when you mourn. Um, and there is so much joy in the community aspect of that. Even if you're walking through a really hard thing, um, I have found a lot of joy in the midst of my pain just by walking it with other people and with God. Um, and the other thing that happens when you, when you hope that I think is really good, even if it does lead to disappointment is when you ask something of God, just like you would a really safe parent um, or a healthy parent, you're declaring certain things about them to be true. Like it's even in the ask, there's an affirmation of who you know, what you know to be true about God. Mm -hmm. um, and I started realizing that I was, when I stopped asking 
for a season, I was cutting myself off from affirming what I know to be true about God. Mm. Um, and th- so that's where that I doesn't I, work either. Right. That doesn't but, work either. Yeah. Yeah. But you, when you shut it all down, you shut it all down and that doesn't, that's not, that doesn't work either. No, it doesn't lead to the peace and joy that you think you're going to find. It doesn't really protect you from anything. Um, mm. It just locks in the darkness. And so that's where I find the courage to keep asking and to keep moving forward is declaring what I know to be true about God. And um, I think of that, that passage that it's a familiar passage, but with um, we have this treasure in being jars of clay. Well, there's nothing really fancy <laughs> about jars of clay. They're kind of fragile and broken and imperfect and cracked. Um, so it's, it's interesting that in Corinthians, they're described as it's a treasure to be a jar of clay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's because when we're fragile, um, we know our need for Christ. Um, mm-hmm. And Christ comes into those, into those broken and fragile places and can turn those cracks into beacons of light. Um, I know he's done that with your story because I've, I've read it and, and witnessed it. Um, and I think he does that with all of our stories when we are willing to come to him in our vulnerability, be transformed in the secret place, in that close place. And then empty ourselves to those around us in that in that changed way, um, yes. and that that has been the heartbeat of of my lost to found story. Mm. Ooh, that is beautiful, Nicole. And um, yes, I it I always when 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 the topic turns to what we're talking about right now and the redemption of pain. Um, the purpose of pain, maybe, I don't know, that might Mm -hmm. be overstating it, but I think about that beautiful line from Barbara Brown Taylor, where she, she talks about, um, and it's in her book, learning to walk in the dark. Mm, And she said, I love that book. Yes. Oh man. It's such a turn puts, it turns everything on its ear and helps us Mm. realize the, um, beauty of the mystery of when we're, we're kind of like, in the dark. We don't know. We can't mm-hmm. quite see everything. And she says, um, she says, new life starts in the dark, whether it's a seed in the ground, a baby in the womb or Jesus in the tomb, new life starts in the dark. And, mm-hmm. um, I just love that idea of like, sometimes when we just don't know, and it's not clear that, um, that, that sometimes that's the very place where these seeds of new life are being planted, these seeds of transformation, seeds of expansion, seeds of vulnerability, mm-hmm. things we would have, we would never come to any other way. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Amen. I want to read, I want to read uh, one paragraph from the back of the book because it also, it says this, it was only when she, that's Nicole was confronted with her own devastating pain and loss that Nicole realized her current way of life was failing her. She then discovered that sometimes God's rescue looks like prying our fingers off what we think we want so that we can receive what we truly need. 
And often on the far side of pain we don't prefer, we find transformation we would not trade. Mm. And I think that is, um, God, that's been so true my story. Mm. And I hear it in your Nicole, and um, I hope it seeps through the airwaves into the <laughs> hearts of who are hurting, you know? Me too. Me too. Yeah. I want to ask you um, two things. One, how do we talk to people who are in the middle of loss and grief? What What do we, it's like, inevitably, people say the wrong things, mm-hmm. right? When we're like, so, so give us some advice on what's a helpful thing to say when there feels like nothing is the right thing to say? Yeah, I, um, I mean, it's different for everybody in terms of what feels good and depending on the situation. What I find most often is that people are so terrified of saying the wrong thing that they say nothing mm-hmm. and assume that the person doesn't want to hear from them or that it's awkward or, um, listen, we're, you know, if you're a grieving person, you know, you're already in pain. Um, the, the I'm mentioning it is going to remind you, right? Yes. Oh, guys. I forgot I was going through that horrible thing. Exactly. So I think if you're afraid of tripping somebody into pain by bringing it up, no, they're already there. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I, I think just getting over that hump of saying nothing. And what I encourage people to say is, um, you know, I really don't know what to say, but I want to be here for you and let you know that I'm thinking of you and praying for you. Um, and I don't know what to say. This is so hard. Um, and just validating that I don't have the right thing to fix it, but I know it's painful and I can only imagine. Um, and you know, I just say exactly what I'm thinking in terms of if I'm trying, rather than trying to come up with the perfect words, just say, I wish I had something that could fix it. And I, you know, I don't, and but I do want to let you know that I know how much it hurts and I'm here. Um, you don't have to have the magic solution. No one, no one is expecting you. And I'm sure you felt this way when you were going through your own season is like you, you weren't expecting people to say something that was going to make it all better. Um, but just to have that community in it um, and to know that you weren't alone is a huge gift. Um and then the other the other piece I think is um, when when you're wondering what to say or, or how to um, step into it, I think sometimes we say, "Can I do anything?" And um, that's a fine question and a very sweet sentiment. Um, so there's nothing wrong with that. I think another layer. I had somebody ask me one time, "I want to do something." what is it? <laughs> Pick something. What is it that I can do? Yeah. Um, so there's a commitment there that I'm doing something. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, yes. That's very helpful actually. Yeah. Cause what it took off of me was feeling like, Oh, I'm asking a favor or the burden. And not that people are who say, can I do something? are going to be burdened by it. But I think when a friend says I'm doing something, then it's just on me to pick what that something is versus ask them to do something. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Right. Right. I love that. And it, it 
it takes the, um, yeah, just you feel, instead of being, feeling like you're in a sticky situation, um, relieved of all of that, which is helpful because you've got enough to deal with. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So those are two, those are two things I think are particularly helpful. Excellent. And, um, along those lines, uh, speak to the value of community when you're in the midst of loss or in the midst of protracted disappointment, um, and maintaining vulnerable relationships with the trustworthy people in your life. Um, at you, throughout the book, you have touchstones of people that were there or you had particular conversations with at important times or who said things that shifted your perspective. Um, I loved all of those stories. And so just talk about the role that community plays uh, when we're in these places, especially for those of us who sometimes want to isolate the more pain we find ourselves in. Yeah, that's um, a great question. I Because I think there is, especially for those of us who escape in our pain, I think there is um, this tendency to isolate. Um, and we can isolate in all sorts of ways. Um, but I know from... I know from my own experience um, that no community, while no community is perfect and no friend is going to be able to give you everything, um, my goodness, were my friendships and community one of the best gifts God gave to me in the wake of what I lost. Um, friendships and relationships and uh, the gifts of the people that God put, um, in my life for such a time as this, mm -hmm. um, I was able to see in a way that I'm not sure I would have been able to see had I not gone through what I have been through. Um, and it was, it was so sweet at my launch party, um, for the book a couple weeks ago, it was such a thin place, such a transcendent mm -hmm. moment to get to sit up there. I, my friend interviewed me about the book for a few minutes, and then I wanted to say some thank yous at the end. And just to stare out at this crowd of people that I had no idea who they were before this book began. Mm -hmm. And just to stare out and at these faces and think, oh, my goodness, God is good in giving me these people. Um because this is the community that was absolutely meant to carry us through this season. Um, and, oh, if I had not ever met them, I mean, it just, and, and what an example of, you know, having what I thought I wanted stripped out of my hands so I could have open hands to receive what I actually need. Um, and not that our California community or my Seattle community where I grew up um, wouldn't have been wonderful as well, but this, this community in Connecticut has been something special. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I say this a lot. I just, I very much relate to what you're talking about. And I, I say this a lot that, you know, that story in the new Testament about the friends that bring their, their friend to Jesus to be healed. He can't walk and they've got him on a stretcher and, 
You know, what a mm-hmm. gift it is to be able to be one of those people who's strong enough and able enough and has a great plan and strategic. And we're going to get this, our friend, our hurting friend to Jesus, and we're going to saw a hole in the roof and we're going to lower him down. We got it all under control. And, and um, how wonderful it is to be one of those four friends that gets to figure all that out mm-hmm. and how truly and horrible it is to be the one laying on the stretcher. Mm-hmm. That until you are laying on that stretcher and you're relying on those four friends to carry you because you cannot lift your own weight, um, that that connects you to people in a way that nothing else, that, that being strong and capable won't, you know? Amen. And so when, when you go through those times where you're like, I'm on the stretcher and people show up and say, we got you, that um, there's nothing like that, that will, it's, it's humbling. It's horrible at first. It's uncomfortable to receive in that way. And you will be connected to those people uh, forever because nothing connects you to someone else quite like your own need and them seeing you and caring for you in your need. Absolutely. So true and very well said. I love that. I've never thought about that story that way. I really like that. Yeah. I think about it a lot because of how much I would prefer to be the one who is like, I've got a plan. This is what we're going to do. And everyone look at me and be like, you're so brilliant. Thank you so much for saving the day, you know, and how I've spent almost three years now being the one who's pretty much on the stretcher and just how against my own nature that feels and how it has connected me to people in a way that me being um, a real flash of brilliance doesn't always. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Totally. Yes. I love that you took the time to mention um, those conversations and those people that were the touchstones that um, kept you going um, in the book. I I really loved that. Um, I want to wrap up our conversation, um, but I want to ask you, um, where are you now? So as where the book ends, um, you have had two baby boys since the end of where where the book ends. So tell us just like a little, um, a little sequel extra. Where are you now? Yeah, and I get asked all the time um, why I chose to end the book there. I, I think that's uh, for a couple of reasons. Obviously, our stories are lifelong, um, and it just felt like that was a place where I could put a punctuation mark um, in my story. But more importantly, I did not want to confuse the message that mm-hmm. – um, I I wanted the reader to walk away knowing that whatever they're longing for in their life, however good and true those things might be, um, that even the best gifts in life cannot capture the glory of God and that our hope is in the giver of all gifts um, and not the gift itself. Mm. Um, And I really felt like I had to get there emotionally and spiritually before I could receive my boys as gifts instead of entitlements. Um, and that wow. tastes sour coming out of my mouth, but, um, I, I write it, I write, <laughs> I write about it in the book because I think for a long time I would have never said this, but I think I was kind of acting like, well, like, of course I'll get to be a mom because I would be a good mom. And if I just work hard enough, these are rewards for my hard work and, um, and, you know, or just the next step, um, for us Mm -hmm. as our our family, I kind of took it for granted. And, um, again, I wouldn't have said 
said those things or even thought them, but I think I was living as if I was, it was just the next step in my life um, versus really seeing them as gifts because all good things in this life are gifts, um, mm. not rewards. <laughs> um, so, so good. And it takes time to root out that that's actually what we might believe. Yeah, don't you think? totally. Like, I don't, I don't know that that's, we're always consciously moving through life with that as our um, belief system. We wouldn't say that we do, but mm-hmm. then it gets challenged or threatened. And um, yeah, I think that it, it, we realize, oh, oh, wow, I expected this. I expected these things to happen to me in this order at this time. And I need to take a step back and think about that. Absolutely. Um, and so... Yes. Where am I now? I have a little boy who's going to be four at the end of this month uh, Mm -hmm. named James. And um, I have Charlie who's almost three months old next week. Um, And so grateful, my goodness. Um, And we'll see, we'll see how God builds the rest of our family. Um, I'm still a marriage and family therapist. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And uh, still living in Connecticut. Um, So there's a lot in my life. And I write this at the end of the book. Like, this is not a before and after story. Like, there's a lot, you know, on the surface of my life that looked very much the same. Um, But so much is different in my heart and in my relationship with God. um, Because of how he graciously... I, I know he's not the author of our suffering, but he graciously used a story I would have never been brave enough to choose for myself and um, to change my heart and draw me closer to him and um, change my relationship with him and other people. So for that, um, I am grateful. And that's what I have found. And that's what I've been found by. I love that. It's beautiful. It's an unfolding. And um that's why we need this concept of beginning again and returning to God and returning to ourselves and returning to each other. And, um, we're gracious enough to get to walk with him through all of it. So I love it. Thank you, Nicole, so much for, um, just your vulnerability and in sharing your story. And I know that it will, um, just reach into the heart specifically of those who are um, just experiencing disappointment and loss and speak some um, truth and hope into their hearts. I hope it will. Thank you. Me too. And thanks so much for having me. This was a really uh, treasured conversation. I I enjoyed it. You too, Nicole. Okay. And um, congratulations on the book. It is beautiful. And I will be sharing it um, with the listeners on my um, social media and making sure that they can see this gorgeous cover and a little bit more about um, from lost to found giving up what you think you want for what will set you free. A beautiful book and a beautiful conversation and a beautiful woman. Thank you, Nicole, so much. Thanks, Leanna. Uh Uh-huh. Bye-bye.